Hi everyone, welcome to Gray Matter. I'm Elisa Schreiber. I'm the marketing partner here at Greylock and we have a very special guest with us today. I am absolutely thrilled to introduce the co-founder and CEO of Solve, Heather Fernandez. Heather, welcome to Gray Matter. Thank you so much for having me, Elisa. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Just to set the table, Greylock's partnered with Solve since 2017. And it's been just an incredible story, incredible um, to watch your company as the medical booking platform has played just a really large part in transforming healthcare over the past few years. You've been on the pod before, and today what we're going to unpack is a pretty impactful decision that you made when you were raising your Series C. I think that many of the founders who listen to Gray Matter will really appreciate hearing your strategy and approach, and I'm, I'm hoping that your story helps inspire other founders as they're thinking about their own fundraising strategy. But before we get started with that, I wanted to start with just setting the table. Can you tell us a little bit about Solve and, and just help everyone understand what your company does and who you serve? Yeah, absolutely. So at Solve, the way we think about our purpose is to eliminate the stress around everyday healthcare, right? And what's more stressful in the United States than our healthcare system? The way we do that is pretty simple and straightforward. And that is on the consumer side and through our app, we try and help consumers figure out where should I go for the problem I have, whether that's digitally or down the block, when can I be seen and how much will it cost me? Like three questions that seem so simple, but are so incredibly hard in healthcare. But the way we do that is not just by building a consumer app, it's actually by building software for the innovators in the healthcare category and the innovative group where we have invested a lot of time and believe so strongly is urgent care. That software enables things like same day online booking, SMS based communications, telehealth, all integrated or automated into their clinical workflows in order for them to provide a more consumer first healthcare experience. And so that's the company that we've built. And I'm proud to say that to date, we've helped over 50 million Americans experience a more consumer first healthcare you know, through the product. And how many clinics and hospital systems are using the platform and, and what's the impact for that set of customers? The way that we think about it is in terms of national density, right? And so today, super proud to say 150 million Americans are within five miles of a bookable same day appointment right now, right? 80% of what's booked through Solve is a same day appointment. And in a world where to get an appointment lasts anywhere from two to four weeks to actually get access to care, it's a fairly remarkable stat, right? And the way we think about ROI for the providers on our platform, frankly, is are we growing your business? And are we helping you engage in consumers in a more modern way that enables you to grow your practice? And that's how we think about our success. Well, on that point, you launched in 2016 and we're lucky we've had a basically a front row seat to your incredible growth since that time. You have been on our podcast before. You talked a little bit about um, some of the strategies and uh, some of the growth that you were seeing, especially beginning in 2020, really as a result of the COVID pandemic. And I know that that shaped a lot of your strategy going forward. Today, what I'm really excited about is to talk to you 
about a fundraise that you did back in 2021. You announced that you raised your $45 million Series C as a way to really accelerate that growth that you just described across your national network of providers. The round of funding was led by our friends at Accrue Capital and Corner Ventures. And you know, you've definitely put it to work, but what you did, you didn't announce something as part of the raise in September, and it was a really special initiative that you undertook. Will you tell us a little bit more about what came to be known internally as Project Captain Marvel? I would love to share about it because it was a really remarkable experience. You know, I have a good friend named Karen Nortman, who is at Upfront Ventures. She and I have known each other for 20 years. And one of the things that we've been talking about for those 20 years is how do you drive more diversity in tech? We've both worked in tech for the bulk of our careers. We both are so, such believers in the power of tech to be transformative in people's industries, in people's lives. And yet topics around enabling more diverse, underrepresented minorities, female founders, both on the investing side, as well as on the founder side, has still been somewhat elusive. Right, progress has been made. I'm an optimist and I'm a celebrator of forward progress, but I think a lot of us feel impatient. And so really what happened was I called her when we closed our Series C, mostly so she could give me a pat on the back and say, good job, Heather. <laughs> I was just about to go on vacation and she did say that. And she said to me, you know, we've been talking about cap table diversity for a long time. You have incredible investors today why don't you try and make some space on the cap table and let's create an all-female SPV right now and we'll do it over the next couple of weeks. And if you say yes, I'll help you make it happen. As a founder, what we try and do, all of us, is raise money from great people who can help us build transformative companies. And the reality is, as a founder, you want that to be as easy and as quick of a process as possible for a number of reasons, the most important of which is you wanna get back to work. So we did that. We have an incredible cap table with Greylock, Benchmark, and then a crew and corner. You know, Teresa Gao has been a real leader in terms of diversifying cap tables in her career as an investor. And at the end of that, when we said, well, let's do an SPV, it was actually not something that I'd thought about because special purpose vehicles, also known as SPVs, have been around for a long time, right? They're used in all sorts of ways in more traditional investing. However, I had not heard of an SPV, which is effectively a group of people that you put in one vehicle focused on something like enabling cap table diversity, enabling a more diverse group of accredited investors mm -hmm. to get in on an interesting investment opportunity. And I'm certain it's happened, but it's not commonplace and it should be. So how did you set about doing this? You and Kara have this mind meld and you say, you know what? It's really rare to get access to the kinds of investing opportunities that Solve could offer given the stage, your metrics, your growth, the strength of the company. How do we help democratize that access to women and particularly, I think women of color was a big part of the strategy, which I'd love for you to talk more about. How did you do it? First off, I, I mean, I actually said no to start because I was <laughs> exhausted 
I'm being totally honest. And I thought, man, that sounds hard. And I don't have a playbook to follow. We talked at the end of that weekend. I said, are you sure that you want to do this? Will you help me do this? And as soon as she said, yes, we were off to the races. You know, the first thing that we did, so the, our orientation was we wanted to enable women on Solve's cap table, you know, the vast majority of our buyers of our product and users of our product are women. So we wanted to enable women and we had a specific focus on women of color, right? As you think about access to interesting investing deals, access to cap tables, right? Again, there has been movement, but women first and then women of color as our focus area. And what we decided we would do is we would email or text all of the known female angel investors in our network. And in doing so, we would ask them, one, are you interested in learning more about this? And if so, please add one person from your network focused on women of color in particular or first time investors to enable them to come and listen to the pitch and decide if they wanted to be involved. And frankly, we have no idea how much interest we would be able to generate. And we were frankly just incredibly shocked because what really happens is when you open the door to access, all of a sudden, all of these incredible women who know other women who would love to be investors and get their first angel investment sort of on their books and learn about it. So they started pulling each other into this circle. And so frankly, I owe Kara Nortman so much for encouraging me to do it. I owe my team so much because this came, remember, after we'd closed, after we decided we're done. So for them, what it meant was another two weeks of you know, cranking in order to do the pitch, set up the SPV, get all the allocations, work with a third party. And so as a result, we created a bit of a playbook just to normalize that one, this is possible. And two, frankly, as founders, you have the opportunity to live your values through your cap table in a way. You know, another question this raises is what were the conversations like with um, your existing investors when you went to your board and said, this is something I want to do. It's obviously going to take time. I mean, your first reaction admittedly was, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> so how did you think about, you know, the trade-offs between, yes, it's a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of focus. I actually just finalized this raise. So you didn't quote unquote need the money. It was something you were doing to advance the mission and advance like just diversity in tech. So what were the conversations like with your existing investors and how did you kind of get everyone's buy-in that this was the right thing to do? I will tell you, it was not hard at all. Again, because it's a non-standard conversation, I wasn't actually sure how they would react, but I have an incredible board, all of whom care a lot around driving innovation and diversity and new ideas in tech. So James Slavitt from Greylock, Bill Gurley from Benchmark, and Teresa Gal from A Crew, all on the board. And they all said, go to it. You know, of course I said, I'm going to cap the amount of time, right? I'm not gonna let this slow the fundraise in any way because there's obviously a lot of, you wanna get the deal done. You wanna get done. You wanna close the financing and move on. And so I was clear on how we were going to execute with guardrails to make it happen. And then Teresa Gao, I will tell you, she gave me a piece of advice because she's someone who has done quite a lot in this category, and that was to reduce the minimum. And I'll talk about this as part of the playbook, but 
Typically with angel investments, what you see is a 25K minimum. Not always, there's no rule, right? But that's, I think it's fairly standard, but that's the number. And her advice to me was, get rid of that minimum, right? You've, mm -hmm. You're creating the vehicle. Your objective is to enable more people who have not invested before to invest. And so reducing that friction to make that an easier thing for them to do benefits your objective. And she was so right. John Catadu from Corner Ventures, who was our newest ad to the cap table and, and co-led the round, was pumped. Right. And so the reality is my investors were like, this is cool. Okay, go do it. And so I just think that's worth saying, because again, as a founder, you want to get it done. You want to do it right. You don't want to mess anything up. And they were all in. It's important because I think founders need to hear how you worked with your board and your existing mm -hmm. investors to get everyone aligned that this was the right thing to do and that this is the goal and this is how we're going to do it. But to that end, you know, the advice you got from Teresa around minimizing the buy-in minimum. Also, yes. the goal of that was to maximize the pool of available participants. And right. in doing so, that clearly also creates complexity around the amount of people who are working with the lawyers and this, the accountants and doing all the back office stuff. So you mentioned that you partnered with Karen Norman, mutual uh, fan club over here as well, <laughs> and that she was a big help in kind of getting this whole thing started. But I know there's a lot of hands-on logistics as part of setting up the SPV. And so I was hoping you could share how you approached that as a founder and how you found the support and the right resources to make this notion a reality. That's right. The last thing that you want as a founder is more back office admin. So I would put this as a requirement, right? That you must identify the right external party or basically back office of your special purpose vehicle in order to execute this in a way that doesn't overburden yourself or your team. In our case, we worked with the AQP family office, right? This is a relationship that Kara Norman had, someone who was aligned with the objective of what we were trying to do around enabling more cap table diversity. We sat down in advance of actually kicking this off to make sure that they were aligned on the work to be done, which of course is all of the admin, all of the paperwork, all of the filings that will happen ongoing. And we just wanted to be crystal clear around what was expected on both sides before we said go. In our case, it was a family office. Carta has a product um, that's available for SBBs. AngelList has a product. But I do think it's incredibly important to identify that, frankly, or else your team will be very frustrated with you <laughs> when you try and execute something like this. You mentioned um, earlier too, when you were talking to your board, that you really clearly articulated what your boundaries would be in terms of moving forward with this process. Can you tell a little bit more about how you set limits for this? How did that benefit the process to set those limits in advance? Um, I was coming off of a fundraise, off of you know a stretch of working with and pitching institutional investors, super eager to get back to work in the day-to-day -day of running Solve. And so the way we thought about it was, right, we were gonna reduce the minimum and therefore any dollar amount would be okay. And we wanted to complete this in two weeks. So the way that we did that was we put a two week deadline on ourselves from kickoff. 
We created our first list of angel investors, asked them to invite other women in their network who are accredited investors. We set two Zoom meetings, right? And were available via email for back and forth and Q&A, but decided to restrict any one-on-one -on -one meetings as part of our core play. And then we established a clear go, no go date, right? And the reality is we lost a lot of people because we ran it under such a tight timeline and that's okay, right? For our objectives, diversify the cap table, bring in more first time investors, do this on a tight timetable so that we could get back to work because frankly, we didn't anticipate doing this SPV when we started the fundraise, that was the right thing for us. And so that's how we executed it and it ended up working out very well. Did you set any limits in terms of the number of investors that you were going to allow to participate? You know, we didn't to start. As we started getting a ton of interest, we ended up capping it at 75. Somewhat arbitrary, right? But at some point it became clear that the longer we let it go, the more people we would get and potentially we would risk our own time frame. So 75 ended up being our number, which I don't even think we've said this yet. You know, we ended up raising three and a half million in this SPV. 60% of those were women of color. Around a third of those were first-time investors. It was really remarkable. One thing Lisa worth sharing is when we did these Zoom meetings, it was so different than my institutional meetings because I was looking at users of the product, right? Mm. We call our user Mary, a mom of two kids. We think a lot around how she thinks about everyday healthcare for herself and her family. And I'm looking at these women who are nodding, look not just at the vision, but at the business that we've created. And it was just incredible. Is the makeup of the women who participated also, are many of them operators and working? So they're, they're working parents. And so I, I would imagine that the product itself speaks to that demo as well, right? People who are busy, who are trying to provide for their families, but also have work and other constraints. A very busy working mom. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, everyone from, you know, Carrie Washington, who I guess I don't have to describe who she is, and Jen Tejada at PagerDuty and Katrina Lake, founder of Stitch Fix, and a number of active full-time operators. And the list goes on and on. And then an equally large and larger list of women who you wouldn't actually recognize their names yet. They've been very successful in their career. They will continue to be successful. And frankly, we ended up being their first angel check. And that was just incredible. And you talked a little bit earlier about the decision to reduce the minimum and how that mm -hmm. um, enabled you to open up the pool. I'd love to also hear a little bit about the process of you know, you get these angels who are interested, you do the pitch meetings. Did you use any tools or any mechanisms to help vet people beyond just the Zoom calls and kind of word of mouth introductions? Well, obviously you have to be an accredited investor to participate. So that was one. You know, our first group of vetting was our personal networks. Right. And so they're vetted based on our many decades of experience working with incredible operators. And then frankly, they were the referral for the next group that we didn't know yet. And that expansion of the network through those trusted relationships is really what led us to complete this SPV. And so quickly you ask about tools and, you know, what good operator doesn't love talking about tools. It's really important to figure that out. Actually, you know, for us, for the applications, we use Google Forms. 
where you could submit how much you were interested in for an allocation if you were in. To process questions internally with our team, we use Slack, right? For the virtual roadshow, we use Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. To keep track of all of the prospects who then converted to investors, we use Airtable. You know, having your suite of tools available and at your fingertips <laughs> was an important part of making this efficient for us, frankly, which is incredibly important. And then how are you thinking about investor updates for this group of um, new investors and, and what kinds of touch points will you have with them? And frankly, I, this may be just me projecting, but I can see a world where this group of first time investors becomes a community in and of themselves. How are you helping kind of foster that um, connection with uh, between the investors who participated in this? Yes, you know, this is an area that I'm still in progress. You know, the reality is after you get back from a fundraise, as you know, with all of your founders, you get right back to work. And so what we've done to date has really been organic between email updates, people texting on Twitter. It's been a bit more of an organic expansion of my investor network. What I aspire to do, frankly, is to create more of a community, right? And whether that's meetups periodically, geographically, because part of my personal objective is to create more founders and more investors, right? As cap table diversity diversifies wealth creation. I've said this before, um, prior to Solve, I was a longtime executive at Trulia, right? And if not for being on that Trulia cap table, I wouldn't have started Solve. And so creating a community that supports the creation of more diverse founders and investors is part of the objective. I don't get an A plus on that one yet. <laughs> We're working on well, it. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, yeah. I've heard from you throughout this whole conversation, how much it was really a group of people that collaborated with you to make this SPV happen. Be happy to help you host like a power breakfast or <laughs> some other meetup with the, with the investors that have joined the solve cap table. I think it'd be fun to get everyone together. Let's do it. You know, COVID kind of made it hard <laughs> as well, to be fair. Yes, yes, <laughs> um, yes. But yes, there's plenty of time. I would love to do it. And, you know, I want to quick shout out that we're not the only ones, right? There, there are a couple others that I've heard of. What I aspire to is this to be more normalized as part of the process. So it's not quite as frantic as our experience. But, you know, before us, Phoenix is a really interesting company where they committed, I think it was 10% of their cap table to Latinx investors. I've heard of a couple of other ones and I'm not hundred percent sure if they've closed, so I don't want to name them, but I have heard this more and more. So like my great aspiration is recognition by founders and investors that this is an option, right? Like this is a viable option that you can think of as part of your overall financing process. That to me would be a huge win. Well, and that it's doable and this is how yes. you do it, right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. If you want to diversify your cap table, and mm -hmm. do it via an SPV. You had no playbook when you were doing it. Let's give people a playbook. What are the yeah. six things that people should focus on? Well, we made so many mistakes. And my hope is that this playbook is helpful to the next founder or investor who's looking to use an SPV to diversify their cap table. So first I would say, commit to the plan upfront as part of your fundraise. Decide what you want to do, speak to your board about it, build it into your internal team's plan so it's not a last minute scramble as it was for us. Number two, 
tap your networks. As founders and entrepreneurs, you have an incredible network already. So whatever the purpose of your SPV is, you likely already have the people in your network to help you get there. In my case, Kara Nortman from my network was an incredible driver. And then tapping our first network of angel investors was an important part of our success. Third, you need a back office success partner. Ours was AQP. As I mentioned, Carta and AngelList are great options and I'm sure there are others, but line that up in advance. Fourth, for us, set limits, right? In our case, the limit was time. In your case, the limit might be dollar invested amount, it might be time, it might be number of investors, but establish what that is upfront to prevent the chaos that can ensue later on if you end up being quite successful, actually. <laughs> and I think the last one, and this was one that specifically worked for us, is reduce the minimum. You know, I was scared, but with the right tools, with the right success partner, with the right people in my network working to make this happen, reducing the minimum just opened up access to people who otherwise might be more intimidated or not actually be have the financial capacity to write that bigger check. So as long as you have the back office and the tools set, it's very possible to make that happen. So those would be my tips in my playbook. It's great. It's a great set of tips. I just want to end on some broader perspective from you, if you don't mind, mm -hmm. because your story is so compelling. You're you're a founder, you're a mother, you're a very busy person, you active person. We've talked a lot about the structure that you put in place to ensure that you could continue to run your business and build your team and do all the things you need to do for Solve while making space for this SPV. But it was still a tax on your time and on your energy to do this. So I think it would be helpful for our listeners to hear a little bit about why you did it. What compelled you to focus some energy on realizing the SPV? You know, Lisa, I am just so aware of the incredible opportunity that I have as a founder. I have certain beliefs that is diverse investors lead to diverse investments, which lead to diverse executives that has proven to be true in my own life. And I think it's important to try and create more of that. So in my case, it was worth doing and I have the privilege to do it. And so, you know, as I look across leaders in business, I always have so much respect for those who use their platforms, right, to push forward progress, whatever that might be, whether that's running for office, whether that's, you know, focusing on a particular cause or initiative. And this was my way of doing that. And so it was the right thing to do. I had the opportunity to do it. So of course I should do it. Heather, this story is so inspiring. I remember when you first told me that you were doing this and I, my heart burst, it leapt out of my chest. I was so happy that you were taking your platform and your position and your influence in Silicon Valley to do something so meaningful for an entire group of women that would frankly not have had access to something like this in the past. So thank you. And I think secondly, the generosity you have in sharing the story with the broader venture backed 
tech ecosystem and enabling and empower, uh, empowering other founders to now have a playbook. I'm incredibly grateful for it. I'm sure there's many founders who listen to this podcast who are going to be incredibly grateful for your insights as well. So thank you for taking time out of your day to share the story with us, to share your playbook with um, the broader ecosystem and for spending the time. Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to do it. The reality is <laughs> it's a little selfish. If more people have a playbook and are able to execute driving more cap table diversity as a normal part of their raise, like that will have been a huge success. So thank you 100 times. I love talking to you, Lisa. I love talking to you too. Well, unfortunately though, this does wrap up this episode of Gray Matter, even though I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> for our listeners, you can find a transcript of this interview on the content section of our website, which is graylock.com slash blog. You can also subscribe to Gray Matter on SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elisa Schreiber, and thank you so much for listening.